Frankie Ojo has scored programs for Sky, ITV, Channel 4, amongst many others, and has worked on award-winning short films, branded content for Adidas, Puma, and Jaguar, and also a number of animation projects too. His approach has always been to just go out and do things, and the method he used to find projects when he first wanted to work on an animation is such a great example of that attitude. Welcome to the Soundtrack.academy podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Amandri, and each week I interview a member of the film, TV, game, or media music industry. My aim is to help as many people as possible to learn the ins and outs of composing and producing for moving image. For links, show notes, and previous guests, head over to soundtrack.academy slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening from and also leave me a review. Hi, Banky. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for having me. So can we begin with, in your words, who you are and what you do? Okay, so I'm Banky Ojo. I'm a media composer and sound designer. And uh, what I aim to do is to connect the listener and the, the audience. What I aim to do is connect the audience with the viewing experience and bring them into the emotional journey of the characters that they're watching on screen. Amazing. That is the ultimate goal of, of film music composition, isn't it? To help it people connect. It That's it. That's it. It's like, the way I see it, it's like the, um, the connecting link between what you see and how you feel about it. And depending on the approach that you take to scoring it, you can make a scene feel one way or another. And I'm just endlessly uh, interested in the exploring of how you can sort of shape emotion with music and sound. That's really cool. The link link between what you see and how you feel. That is really nice. That's really cool. Because I think, I think, I think that's something that's really overlooked when people watch a film. The music is telling them how to feel, but people aren't really aware of that. You know, if something's well, scary, then the music's telling them that. Well, that's it. I think um, that's one thing I absolutely love about it is that it's a very small but very significant part of um, a very large production. Um, and it's understated, uh, which is kind of like, uh, I guess, personality-wise, if you look at a lot of composers, I think the personality of being someone important but not necessarily in your face, I, kinda, I think it kind of fits. Um, so doing a role that kind of allows you to shape something without necessarily being front and centre stage, I think, um, works well for my personality type anyway. <laughs> nice, nice. That's really cool. Uh, so my, norm, my normal question at this point is what you enjoy most about what you do, but I'm... Um kind of assuming we've already answered that you enjoy being able to be that final writer on the project well the i guess that my, my well what i most love about um working on projects um there are two main parts i love the first part is um just discussing with the director about direction and sort of the aesthetic and deciding on what we're going to do, sort of dissecting the script and deciding on what the characters need to feel like, what the world needs to feel like. And those early stages of sort of sonic exploration and sort of getting getting myself into that world, um, however I manage to do that, um, that's usually the most exciting bit. So I'm, I feel like a bit of a, a kid in a sandpit with all my toys. Um, and I sit around and just make, make weird noises until I find something that actually belongs to the picture. Um, that's, that's like the, the most exciting part. And then the next exciting, uh, most exciting part um, is at the very end, once you've delivered everything, the director's happy, everyone's happy, and you're sitting in the um, cast and crew screening, um, watching it back, and I'm able to be objective again. Yeah, and see yeah. it as a completed piece of work. How do you feel in those final screenings? I, I'm always, I can't 
focus on anything. I can't enjoy the film because I'm always just so... Then are you too involved in it? How do you feel when you watch? Actually, for me, that's the moment when I can actually let go of everything and just be in the audience and just see it. There's something about that distance. Um, obviously, I'm not in my own working environment, so that part of my brain is almost sort of switched off. Um, and so I'm sitting in a in a darkened room watching a big screen, and you just get to see it as an uh, as a member of the audience. Um, Obviously, there are times when you know you've done something and you wish you could have made a change here or there. <laughs> um, but I try not to let that distract me too much and try to just enjoy it as a as a body of work because um, it'll be the picture will have been graded and what have you. So everything's yeah. been brought together because um, obviously the the content that I'm working on when it's in my world usually hasn't got all the other um, elements to it. Maybe it's not been graded or the sound's not been finished yet or yeah. sometimes some of the visuals haven't been quite finished yet and stuff. So that's where it all comes together. And I think there's something about it, it all being to being put together and then being presented in the form that it's supposed to be presented. It kind of helps me to jump back on the other side of the um, the wall and just enjoy it as a spectator. That's really cool. You raise a really important point there about um, when you're working on, on the projects, them not being graded and not having the final sound. I think a lot of people get quite put off as a, when they first, you know, they get the first project as a composer and they see this film they're sent and they're like, this is rubbish. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> it looks really, that's really hard to kind of get yourself it's, inspired it, it, to work it, with that it, kind of stuff. It can be, it can be particularly when you're in the early stages and you're working on short films that aren't that great. But then again, at that stage, you're not that great either. And <laughs> yeah. so it kind of, um, but being inspired um, is really important. So sometimes obviously the film might not be fantastic, but there'll be something about it that um, that you can get on board with. And I think that's a, that's a key part for me in my process is just finding my way into a film or into a project um and it can be the performance of one of the um the actors it could be the the location the way it's been set it could be the sound um it could be anything but it's just something that pulls you in and brings you into that world and that just allows you to sort of suspend disbelief and just get into the story and then once you're on board like that i find all the ideas and the sort of the musical ideas and sonic ideas just sort of write themselves really but the difficult bit is just getting yourself into it particularly when it's something that doesn't look great and definitely yeah. early on in the career there's a lot of that <laughs> yeah um but that said um so i've done some work in animation as well and actually that's even more challenging because oftentimes you're actually scoring to an animatic which is like um sort of sketched drawings, um, very crude drawings um, that roughly move in time, but they're holding still for a while, then they'll change change to another sort of um, uh, set scene or movement. But it's definitely not the slick production that you would expect to see once it's finished. So I've done some stop motion animation and, and I'll, be, I'll be working with a hand-drawn animatic um, and I won't actually see the final pictures or I won't, yeah, I want to see the project together or score to picture directly until everything's been completed and I'll watch the music back. So I actually finish the music almost to an animatic, like a hand drawing, but then at the end of it, it's a stop motion animation with sort of characters moving and stuff. It's um, So that's even more of a leap. Yeah. Um, but again, um, there'll usually be voiceovers and that kind of thing recorded as well. And that kind of helps to, again, pull you into the story. And if the story is strong enough, then it can kind of sell sell it to you <laughs> yeah. um, or sell it to me rather. 
and then I can get on board of it. And when you're working with those animatics, have you got cue sheets to tell you if there's any really specific hit points that you have to hit? Or is that well, all this, the clear in the yeah, visuals? So we'll often discuss, um, we'll often discuss um, what, where the main sort of beats are. Um, the tricky thing with animation is that um, you can't necessarily be specific about exactly how long a, f uh, a scene's going to take. In the, I mean, I'm not technical like that, but um, I just understand that in the rendering process, you might... Add or take, you might lose certain frames, um, and so you never really know exactly how long anything's going to be until the very end. But um, but you get a rough idea of the story shape. Um, obviously, you've got a script, and you'll have an animatic, and you'll talk about where things need to build to, and which are the key points, uh, the dramatic points, and the narrative that we need to hit with certain sort of musical cues. Great. Yeah, that's a really, really important because if a, if a, if a scene you've written is going to end up being a second short, you need to be able to make sure the music can work around that. Yeah, it's um, that's the challenge of our job. <laughs> Getting so, stuff to work, banging square pegs into round holes. Yeah, <laughs> in the most elegant and sonically pleasing way possible. Yeah, of course. Of course yeah. <laughs> so, taking us back a little bit, how did you first become involved in music? Okay, so um, well, okay, so my journey in music really started. Uh, I forget how old I was, but I was very young anyway. Um, and a good friend of um, a good friend of mine, a good school friend of mine, um, his mum um, was very involved in sort of community activities and such. And so she was aware of a Saturday music school that used to run in Camden. And so she told my mum about it, and um, we enrolled. Um, me and my brothers um, enrolled to go. So. I actually started off at this um, Saturday music school once a week. Um, and at this amazing place, you got to sort of play lots of different instruments. There are a lot of people who were in orchestras and choirs and that kind of thing and did sort of instrumental lessons. Um, but that was when I first came in contact with um, Cubase Score at the time. Um, and that was just like a, I don't know, it was like a mind-blowing experience. It was almost like computer games meets um, music <laughs> creation. Um, and I just sort of, it, it just made sense to me um, where I wasn't necessarily very um, formal in my education in terms of sort of taking musical lessons and stuff. But um, the the idea of programming MIDI notes and using sound modules and connecting all the wiring up and stuff, that just um, was just... A, I don't know, it's like a kid's dream for me anyway. Um, and so at Saturday Music School, we learned how to use Cubase Score. Um, I did do some piano lessons there. Um, and actually, oh, goodness me, um, there was actually one experience. So I did the, try out the saxophone at one point. Um, and so I've always sort of been drawn to music for, from the point of view of sort of expressing my own musical ideas as opposed to the the more sort of trained to be an excellent musician and then you can recite the most beautiful music ever written kind of thing. So um, I was approached it from that side. So for me, learning to read music at that stage was just something of an inconvenience. It was really quite boring. <laughs> it kind of felt to me like just doing maths or something. So um, I never really used to study like that. Um, but I did pick up the saxophone at one point. Um, and I remember going to orchestra for a few, um, well, it was a a few months actually and um we had a we were working towards a performance in front of the mayor of camden who was going to come and visit us at this um at this music school so um i remember being in this cl class there must have been about 20 or so um other children 
and they had obviously been studying and learning how to read music and stuff. So they're all making their noises and working through and learning, learning their piece. And I remember just really struggling. And I'm like, in an hour's lesson, I've managed to crack two bars of this piece of music. I mean, I wouldn't say <laughs> read it. I was deciphering it. Um, and it was a real struggle. So anyway, come time to the performance now. Um, I remember there were two saxophonists there. Um, I mean, if I can call myself a saxophonist at the time, I really wasn't. But um, the mayor was there. We got ready. We started to play and I gave the best two bars of my life. <laughs> and after that, I just faked it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that feeling, I think I think that feeling sort of, um, yeah, that, that feeling of um, being a fraud, pretending to play a musical instrument, it really did, um, I guess it pushed me away from wanting to study music formally um, for quite some time. I've, I've sort of come back to it sort of, um, much more recently um, but that just sort of threw me headlong into just sitting at the piano and um, just expressing my own ideas and that kind of thing so, and I've sort of followed that journey ever since so sort of after Saturday music school um, uh, I did sort of music GCSE at school um, I ended up doing that one a year early actually they offered that as an option at the school I was at and because of the stuff I'd been doing at Saturday Music School I sort of had a fairly good grasp of what, what needed doing so I was able to pass that without um, without too much ado um, and at A-level I did um, music technology um, and that for me was I, I just remember the experience of walking into the recording studio and just sit, sitting down in this room uh, this slightly darkened room with the big pane of glass looking into the live room and I remember just looking at all the, the the four walls and looking up to the ceiling and just feeling like, yeah, this is where I want to spend my life. <laughs> um, and I was what, uh, I think I must have been sort of 16, 17 at the time. And so I spent a lot of my, my college days um, in the recording studio. Um, obviously, I spent ages on my, on my own courseworks and helping other people with their own course, their recording projects and courseworks and stuff and actually spent... A disproportionate amount of time of my uh, college education in the studio, much to the uh, detriment of the other subjects I was studying. <laughs> um, but it was also facilitated by the teachers who could clearly see that I had um, an, an enthusiasm and um, a leaning towards that direction, and they were keen to support that. So um, I didn't get in much trouble for for missing my lessons, um, and I guess that's 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 a good thing. So I got, I got a lot of studio experience um, quite early on. Um, and then once I left college, um, at that time I didn't, I wasn't aware of the world of sort of composing music to picture or the media world um, in general. And so um, my thing was sort of producing, um, producing and songwriting and working with artists. And so that was what I knew was possible um, in the world of sort of being a musician or quote unquote musician. Um, and so that's what I did. So I found myself um, some local artists and I started sort of writing, writing music for them, sort of producing tracks with them. Um, and from there, the next logical step for me was, what do we do next? I said, okay, well, I guess I should set up an independent record label <laughs> wow. so we can release some of this music. And so um, I did that for a bit. I remember pressing, um, sort of burning CDs. And this is back in the day of dial-up internet, goodness me. <laughs> um, I remember burning CDs and sort of selling them at um, little gigs, that we local shows that we would do and stuff. I remember actually even getting vinyl pressed 
um, for some of the recordings that we've made. Um, I mean, I've listened back to some of those recordings and goodness me, they were awful. <laughs> but at the time, they were the greatest thing I'd ever made and the greatest thing I'd ever heard and I was certain they were going to set the world on fire. Um, they didn't, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, again, it was just a process of asking yourself, what's the next logical step? And so, um, so I did that for some time. Um, and then I, I started finding myself sort of too pulled into the business side of music um, and sort of getting away from the bit that I loved most, which was being in the studio and working with the artists and, and, and that kind of thing. And so um, I decided to sort of move away from the, the sort of recording business side of it. And we signed the acts that we had to different management companies. Um, and then we just focused on um, just songwriting and production. And so we did that for a while, um, worked with some cool acts, and um, we managed to get ourselves some management. They put us in sort of sessions with songwriters, sort of published songwriters, and so we were just playing the, the song game. So just producing and writing um, tracks, trying to land them with labels and stuff, did some remix work and all that kind of thing. So um, really, so much, much of my early years in sort of the music world was spent in the sort of the the music business proper, um, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I really used to really, really enjoy the process of working with artists and sort of really developing in that. So, so my whole perspective on that was every person is unique. Everyone's got a unique set of experiences and a unique perspective on the world. And so working and developing artists, I was always trying to find what made them unique and interesting and what was their slight sort of, different take on the world and then sort of trying to blow that out of proportion and sort of really explore that in the in the way that we sort of um wrote the wrote the music Mm -hmm. um but i did find that in that process i was always sort of trying to so a lot of the stuff we would do would be in the sort of the r&b and the pop music sort of space um but i would always find myself really trying to put too much emotion into this into this um into the music and um really yeah really going um sort of hammer and tongs with the emotion and pop music just doesn't need that (laughs) the kind of stuff that um some of my contemporaries um who were landing records here and there um it was really sort of quite simple stuff um and I just realized that, you know what, that's that's not the kind of writer that I am. Um, I always wanted to write the kind of, so there are obviously, in order to get a hit record, um, in order to sort of, yeah, in order to, to at the time, sort of sell albums, you had to have hit records, um, hit singles. And some people are just hit making machines. They just understand <laughs> the format and the formula. And I salute those guys because it's a it's an art in itself. And I know I, know, I hear a lot of people talking about how you know simplistic music is, etc. But there is a there is an art and a craft to writing hit songs. And yeah. um, but I always wanted to write the the tracks that people wanted to live to. So. I remember from my days of listening to to albums and stuff, there would always be the hit singles that would sort of bring you into the album. But then there would be after the, you know, the after you've sort of killed those singles by listening to them a, a million times, <laughs> you kind of found that there would be maybe two or three songs on an album that you'd want to to then bring onto your mixtape. Um, and those were the songs that you wanted to sort of live to, you wanted to sort of experience great moments to and stuff. And so I always wanted to write those songs that people wanted to sort of live to, get married to, have babies to, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and so it was always about 
um, emotion for me. Um, and it just so happened that I've, I've ended up finding myself in a world where that's all they want. They want that emotion. They want you to be able to sort of connect on a human level and they want you to be able to explore and express that um, musically. Um, and so I think fortunately I've, I was able to arrive at the understanding that that world wasn't really for me and I was actually looking for something else. Um, but I'm quite stubborn and so I didn't really understand that that's what I wanted. Um, but I found myself getting a bit frustrated because the stuff that I wanted to write just wasn't really, you know, it wasn't the thing and it would never get me to where I wanted to get to. So um, so I took some time out um, and sort of reevaluating what is it that I really want to do? Because obviously you don't get into doing the thing that you love to... Um, to spend all your time on things that don't really don't really move you. So I'd find myself in sessions that I wasn't really enjoying anymore. Um, and so I was just searching, just soul searching, what's next, what, what, what do I want to do? Um, and the idea, I started looking at different sort of opportunities within the world of music creation. And, um, and it's really weird that, I mean, I'd been a fan of TV shows like Sopranos and stuff like that. And so um, that long format that sort of, effectively started off the whole sort of what is now the Netflix generation TV yeah. show type format, you know, the long form TV drama format. Um, I always loved those shows, but I never thought about the music. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until I was taking this, this sort of time out um, and I started thinking about other, other ways that I could express and do what I love. And um, during that period of time, a friend of mine who's a cinematographer, um, he was living in the States at the time, he'd moved back to the UK and he was looking to sort of build his um, business over here. And so he'd done some work, and shot, shot a short film and he called me up and said, uh, would you be interested in sort of writing the music for it? And I was like, um, I've never done it before, but I haven't got anything else to do. So why not? I'll give it a go. Um, and that was the most terrifying slash exciting <laughs> um experience i think for me um and really i was able to sort of reconnect and be excited about um about writing music again but in this completely new and interesting world that i'd always loved but never really considered as um as an option um it's a very short film um, a 10 minute short and um i had to deliver it in like I think three days at the time and I'd never done anything like that before so figuring out all the logistics of getting the picture to play in Cubase properly and converting formats and all that kind of stuff and then sort of lining up your 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 um tempo maps and all that kind of stuff this is all completely new to me and I'm like I've got three days to write this bloody music so <laughs> um that was a uh, in in my own little mini baptism by fire but um it was a completely thrilling experience and at the end of it I was like I absolutely love this process. And um, I think I had been looking for this for a long time, but I just didn't realise that it was a world that existed um, or that was sort of open to me. Um, sure. And from that point on, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to spend all my time doing. And um, and so I've been sort of kicking the can down the road ever since. That's that's really great and really cool how you've yeah found, found your calling. <laughs> that's it, that's <laughs> it. How did you actually go about learning um the, the the whole that three day baptism of fire where you had to figure out all the tempo maps and everything how did you go about learning that did you just was it just trial and error or did you have some, um, did you find there, some tutorials? there were some um there were i think that, i'm sure the university of youtube played a part in that <laughs> um 
Um, it's quite a while back now. But um, yeah, there would have been some... I remember I used to get sort of sound on sound magazines and stuff and so I had some stuff that I'd come across and so I was sort of voraciously scanning through all the magazines that I had to try and find that one that spoke about how to to create um a tempo tempo track and and the time signature track and stuff because I'd always been working in 4-4 until that point so <laughs> there was never any need for me to think about time signature i'll just set it in the transport panel and leave it alone yeah um but yeah starting to to get to grips with that so using a combination of sort of online tools and magazines and stuff that i'd sort of had lying around um, you want to figure out yourself as you go it, yeah so I, I, that's a that's a a big theme in my world is very <laughs> much sort of get an idea and just get on with it um yeah. And don't be too afraid of, the, of what might happen. You know, you, you're going to like a fall at some point, but, you know, just let it happen. It'll pass and, and you actually learn a thing or two. Um, Great mindset to have. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, think, I think it's necessary because um, you, you kind of have to be a bit resilient in, in any world, particularly in the world yeah. where you're a freelancer and particularly in the world where um, you're kind of putting your heart on your sleeve and you're putting, you're exposing your, your vulnerable side to the world to criticize. Um, and um, yeah, you kind of have to develop a thick skin. So I think it's, it's definitely helped me in terms of just being willing to, to fall flat on my face from time to time. Because <laughs> um, I mean, when, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of strange really, because obviously when we're kids and we're learning to walk and stuff, babies learning to walk and stuff, we're falling over all the time. And it's just sort of, it's just the process. And when we're young at, um, at school and stuff, you don't know the answer, but you wait, you learn, you study, and you and you eventually do learn the answer. But somewhere along the line, as we grow up, we find it much more difficult to um, to fall over um, or to psychologically handle falling over and getting back up again. Um, and so I try to sort of keep keep that in mind um, in my on my on my journey, and I think it's it sort of helps me keep things in perspective. That you know, just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you know you turn your mind to something you're going to be good at it straight away. I had to for a very long time just accept that I'm going to be shit at this for a very long time. <laughs> Excuse my French. Um, I'm going to be crap at this for a very long time. Um, but that's the way you get you get better at something just by repetition, 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 without sort of giving yourself too much of a hard time about it. Um, and I think it's almost the um, the easier you can be on yourself while you're in the process of learning, the faster you'll actually learn because all of that extra psychological noise that you've got going on, it just inhibits your process of absorbing what it is that you're trying to sort of assimilate um, and it just slows the whole process down. So being willing to fall flat on your face and accept that you're not going to be good at something actually helps you pass through those experiences faster. Um, and I found that to be so on my journey anyway. Such a great piece of advice. Johnny here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I'll keep this short so that we can get back to our guest as soon as possible. But there is one thing that you can do to really help me out with this podcast. And that is to tell a friend about it. There's so much to gain from the guests that I have on the show. And I'd love as many people as possible to be able to learn from their experiences. As you might have noticed, the show isn't sponsored in any way, so I really need your help to spread the word. So whatever you're doing right now, just pause the episode, think of someone you know that would enjoy the show, and send them the link. Thank you so much, and now let's get back to our guest. So your uh, your first project sort of came through your cinematographer friend. Yes. How do you go about yeah. finding your projects now? So um, it's a... Uh... 
I, I call it very lo-fi. My approach is very lo-fi. Um, <laughs> I like to go out to film festivals. I like to sort of... I absolutely love the world of filmmaking. Um, I'm a student of the world. Um, obviously, I consume far too much TV and film for my own good. Um, <laughs> but now I can I can call that research. And... Um, <laughs> my Netflix subscription, I pass off as tax deductible. Um, but um, I like to go out to film festivals. I like to be in and amongst it. Um, and so um, I go to places where um, new films are being screened. Um, I go to Q&As. And um, in that process of being in the world and being amongst it, you meet people who are of a like mind. Um, and in that process, um, you kind of create connections um, with people who have a similar viewpoint and happen to have a, a need for what it is that, that, that you do. Um, and that can then lead to a working collaboration. Not always. Sometimes it's just you, make, you, you meet friends, you make friends with people and you just happen to be friends and you see each other at events and you just have a good old, good old chinwag about what they've been watching and, and what have you. But, um, but yeah, my, my approach is very much lo-fi, being out and about, in and amongst it all and, and meeting people and sort of making connections in that, in that, in that way. Um, inviting people down to the studio when there's an opportunity to do so. Um, and yeah, giving them an opportunity to see, because obviously in the sort of the filmmaking world is massively collaborative. Um, and I've done work in sort of the, the location side of um, filmmaking for a few years, sort of as a part-time job. And um, that was really interesting and, and, and really insightful from the point of view of understanding how, how massively collaborative and how many people are involved in the process of making a production. I mean, you've literally got armies of very skilled people mm -hmm. all working towards this common goal. Um, I think one of my highlights was working on, um, what was it? I think it was I think it was Skyfall. It was one of the James Bond films. Is it Skyfall where they've got where they have the sort of the helicopter gunfight in the castle? Uh, sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I worked on um, in locations and on that and um, seen all the pyrotechnics and stuff. But you see wow. the literally the armies of people involved in making this thing come together, um, and then. On the post-production side of it, it's it's really not the same, um, especially particularly for um, a composer. It's definitely not as collaborative as um, the other parts of the production process. And so it's nice to be out and about and in and amongst it, and it is a social business. So um, being out and about helps me meet people um, and develop contacts, get them down to the studio. They don't really know what it is that we do. A, a lot of people sort of, it's still very, it appears to me anyway, and the people that I meet, that um, music composition is is the sort of the one part of the process that that's sort of least related to the director's sort of education and training and concepts <laughs> and experience. And so I find that it's um, it's a really great and valuable experience to bring them to the studio and sort of to, to, to let them see what I do and um, sort of play them play them some of the work um, and talk about what it is I do. And, and I let them ask me the, those really basic questions that they might feel um, self-conscious to ask, but, um, but I'm really sort of open about about the process and it's almost like a process of education in that in that regard um but again that helps to sort of build a relationship and build trust and build confidence and you get to learn about their approach to filmmaking and what their take is on the world 
um, and when an opportunity presents itself for a project to um, that, that requires some music, they will go to the people who they know, um, yeah. or who they've been recommended by people they know. Um, so it's a very, very much a people business. Yeah. And so that's um, that's where that's where most of my, most of my work gets picked up. Um, okay. I will throw in an exception to that rule, actually, which is. Um, I, w- I was really keen to. I mean, I've been doing a lot of um, sort of work, short films and um, um, corporate promos and that kind of stuff. Um, but it was all sort of live action, so I wanted to actually do some work in animation, but I'd not done any before. And I just again sat down and asked myself the basic question, and that's a key theme in my life: just asking yourself the basic question. And it's like, okay, cool. I want to. I want to do some work with some animation. Okay, how do I do that? And so. Um, <laughs> The answer that I came up with is, okay, well, where do people who do animation go? I said, well, they go to university to study animation. Okay, which universities do they go? So I'm based in Islington. So I had a look at what what universities did courses in animation, um, which are the best colleges for animation. Um, and I came up with a short list. And I literally just picked up the phone and contacted um, a number uh, the the sort of the top universities. Um it turned out from my research, I could see that a number of them were had affiliations with sort of top music schools, and so there would have been no no real scope for me to collaborate with those filmmakers because they're sort of tied in already. Um, so I started, so I continued on that on that search, sort of picking up the phone, doing my research online, making phone calls, um, and I contacted um, Middlesex Uni, who have a really amazing animation course, um, and so I contacted them and said, "Look, um, I'm a." music composer i've not done work in animation but i'd be keen to sort of work with your third year um third year filmmakers on their sort of final major projects um and if there was an opportunity for me to do so that'd be great blah 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 so um they gave me the contact details of the person that i needed to get in contact with i wrote them an email letting them know what i was about what i wanted to do blah 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 and so i got invited down to the university to um to actually effectively give a sort of guest lecture um on the work that i've done and what i do as a composer and how best to work with a composer um and uh yeah offer my services as a composer on any of their projects and so i went down and i did that and that was an amazing experience because again um they were all the students were actually pitching their um their films to an audience of other people who work in um, who are working on music courses in the university, and so I was invited into that class, and so I was watching all these students sort of pitching their films and what it was that they were looking for musically, and then at the end of that session, I was able to go up there and give a presentation about um, my experiences in writing film. Um, I got to show them some pieces of work and talk about my process, etc. Um, and at the end of that. Um, a number of the filmmakers um, uh, approached me um, and asked me if I'd be willing to sort of collaborate with them on their final major projects. And so um, I think out of that cohort, um, six of them really wanted, though I think there were a few more that wanted to work with me, but I I just didn't have the time. Um, But six of them definitely had great projects worth working working on. Um, And my assistant at the time, he, he ended up working on three, and I ended up working on three. And so within a short space of time, I found myself sitting on sort of three animation shorts that were actually all really very good. Um, one of which that um, went on to win numerous, um, well, so win, um, it, it picked up lots and lots of um, 
uh, plaudits around the world, uh, international film festivals. And, um, and it's just interesting that the people that I've met as a result of that film, so I followed it to film festivals here, there and everywhere. Um, and again, at these film festivals, you meet other filmmakers and your work's on display. And so you've got something to talk about and they already know what you're capable of. And so it's a slightly different conversation. Yeah. But it's all come from the fact that me sitting down in my studio saying, I want to work in, I want to do some work in animation. How do I go about doing that? And then just literally just following my nose. And so I'm on, I'm on this whole pigeon steps thing, man. I'm, I'm not in a rush. Um, yeah. to do anything but I'll just sort of take my time and pigeon steps and um, again it takes time but you know there are ways to do it and don't be afraid to ask the basic question such um, an important so thing because it's something that's so um, in marketing in the marketing world it's it's one of the sort of first things you do is work out who your target is who your audience is yeah absolutely. Um, but it's something that's so overlooked in in the composing world like you say if you want to work with if you want to write music for a film, you need to work out who it is that's going to hire you and where they are and how you can connect with them. How can I go and be amongst it all? That's yeah. it. Yeah. It really is the basic questions, but sometimes we overlook these things because of their simplicity. Yeah. Um, um, and the assumption that there's so many other people doing it as well. That's people true. seem to think that directors are just overwhelmed with composers all day, every day, and it's not true. Um, well, this is it. There are some that will tell you absolutely they are. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, there are hundreds and thousands of filmmakers out there. And um, I think what's needed to sustain a career is only, you know, only a handful um, of good ones. Um, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility or my intelligence to be able to get out there and find them. Um, and um, deliver and deliver for them, and that's the other part of it, which is that once you've sort of found these relationships and you've you sort of you've found these people who are of a like mind and see the world in a way that you do, and you're kind of aligned in that respect, um, and then you get an opportunity to actually sort of show and prove your worth um, on a project, um, then you've got to actually deliver the work to the best of your ability and absolutely bust your gut to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, and in that process, you sort of, yeah, you learn loads, but also you develop, um, they develop a respect for what it is that you do and the value that you contribute to their project. Um, so one part of it's making the contact and the other part of it's delivering, um, yeah. delivering for them. Um, but yeah, in that whole process, there are numerous psychological ups and downs and hurdles and chicanes uh, <laughs> to navigate. Definitely. But um, it's all, all in the rough ensemble of the game. So speaking about the delivering the project, can we yeah. talk a little bit about your process? What's the first thing you do when you start on a new project? Oh, wow. Um, it depends. So oftentimes I, I really do like to get involved as early as I can in the, in the process. So, um, Oftentimes I'll suggest to the director, if there's a script, um, I'd love to read it just to, with a view to getting my head into the, <clears throat> into the world, who are the characters, what's the story, what's the narrative, sort of get my head into it. And so I'll often read the script. Um, and sometimes from reading the script, I'll come up with an idea. And at this point, I'm not concerned as to whether or not it's aligned with the vision or not. It's just, this is the first thing that popped into my mind. Let me just start sketching some ideas down. Um, I'll then sort of have a conversation with the director about um, what it is that they're, how they're seeing it. They'll we'll probably usually have a conversation after I've, I've finished reading the script and I'll sort of 
annotate it, make some notes and stuff about questions that I'd like to ask. Because obviously, another part of the process, which is just endlessly interesting to me, is that every director has a different point of view. And so while the text might be the same, each director's interpretation of that text will be different. And so the the way in which they see the world will very much come through in the, in the work that they try to create. And so... At that stage, I'm just trying to get their take on the world. And so there might be a question about a particular character. What's driving this? Or how are you going to sort of portray that? That's an interesting idea. How, how are you thinking about getting that on screen? Or what does that look like? And that kind of thing. So you start to get an idea of what their thought process is. Um, and that gives me some some fuel to start thinking about what might be, um, what's their what's their aesthetic? effectively what's their aesthetic um then obviously they'll go away and um they'll get into production um and uh, oftentimes they'll send me over rushes um and at that point i'm starting to see what the thing looks like and then i can start to get an idea of okay these ideas might work for it this is the kind of palette that might work for it but once they've shot everything um and they've got usually got an assembly um i'll invite the director down to the studio um, and we'll have a spotting session um, where we'll work through the picture and decide where music needs to go and what's its purpose. Um, but that for me is like the the crucial moment to, to really understand what the director feels about the film. Um, because as much as music, we I like to think of music as, you know, adding um, emotional substance to the picture. Um, at the same time, sometimes it serves a corrective purpose. You know, there was something, a performance wasn't quite nailed on the day. And so, you know, they might want a piece of music to kind of, to help help that scene over the line. Um, other times the location didn't quite deliver the visual that they wanted. Um, and so the music needs to kind of support that location, if you will, to really help sell where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's about understanding the different the, the, the different points of where they want music and, and, and why. And at the same time, then we'll have a discussion about the overall aesthetic and what sounds I think might work and, and stuff. And um, oftentimes, and I do try to do this as often as possible, it doesn't always work. Um, but in that spotting session, because all the ideas are sort of fresh in the mind, um, I find it's a great time to start sketching ideas out in a more sort of... Um, in a more focused way while I've got the director in the room. Um, okay. And so I'll be sort of scanning through sounds. Um, I'll have pulled up a template with a, with a, with a couple of th- um, sonic uh, sort of instruments already loaded with a palette that I think might be up their street. And obviously, based on the conversation, I'll know whether that's right or wrong and I'll start searching through different presets. But I'll sit there and start playing with sounds while they're in the room. Because um, I mean, if you think about it, as a as a composer, we all understand and know that feeling when you're writing something and it's just working and everything's just in a pure state of flow and it's just happening. That's a that's a unique experience. Um, but actually, bringing a director into the room to be able to experience that process, um, I find it kind of again, it, it, I don't know, it creates a it's a powerful experience that 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 moment of flow um and so while i'm playing things p- 
playing sounds back and stuff, you can see what lights up their eyes. You can see the <laughs> uh, things that sort of spark their interest. And so I'll start pulling up those sounds and start playing ideas that um, that might sort of help me get a theme um, a theme created. And oftentimes I've created the the what ends up being sort of like the main theme at the end of the spotting session, wow. um, the director goes off feeling very happy and I go away feeling very happy that, yes, we're <laughs> all on the same page and um, I know what direction I've got to go in now. And it allows me to be quite focused in my work. Um, and but also the director's invested as well because they've had um they've they've been part of the process, if you will, um, yeah. and sort of fed into the sort of the 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 early um, the early inception and they've been involved in that process, and so they're almost invested in a way that they might not be if they're coming to it cold. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's that's how it works. Um, some of the time, and I wish I, there was time to do it more like that, more of the time, um, just because I think it's such a fantastically collaborative way to work and getting the real-time feedback while you're in the room um, is amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, there is a downside to that because <laughs> some days you're having a bum day and... Um, <laughs> It's like I've got these two ham fists and I can't get anything to sound good at the keyboard. Um, <laughs> Derek just starts panicking a little bit. Have you, yeah. <laughs> have oh, you had just... a time where you've sort of come up with something with the director and then later on, once you've developed it and sent it through, it's gone in a direction the director hasn't been happy with? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of times. That's, that's <laughs> kind of, that's just the way of the game. And um, it's something that I, in the very early stages, um, I think I kind of struggled with a bit, um, particularly coming from the sort of the music production, songwriting kind of world. It's kind of your idea and you're sort of expressing yourself. But actually, one of the things I really love about this business is that it's not my film. It's somebody else's film. And actually, I'm bringing my um, perspective, skills and experience to help somebody else realize their vision. And so there's a very clear line of um, responsibility and ownership in the idea. And that allows me to be a good service provider, if you will. Um, that doesn't sort of take away from my art artistry, so to speak. Um, but it's my artistry in the service of somebody else's vision. <clears throat> and that gives me a very clear um, direction on where I should be going. And so very quickly I've learned that, no, you don't need to be so precious about it. They hate your idea. It's fine. Let's boot it out. Come on, let's start again. Yeah. If that didn't work, what didn't work? Let's go again. Um, and actually, um, one of the directors that I do quite a bit of work with, um, he actually says that his his favorite part, I'm sure he probably says this to everybody that he works with, but... Um, <laughs> Um, his favorite part of the filmmaking process is actually coming down to the studio once it's all shot and um, actually messing around in the music studio. Um, um, and I think that's, I think that's, an, that, I mean, it's important for me. Um, but yes, the, the feedback that I'd got from the director, um, he was saying that I, one reason I love working with you is because, you know, I can tell you it's it's not really working and it doesn't matter how much you love it, you'll kick the idea out the door and start again. Um, and at first, I think he was nervous about saying it, obviously with a fear of sort of um, offending me. Um, but it's like, I, I set it up quite early on in the, in, the, in the discussion that, look, 
these are just my takes on it, my initial takes on it. I'm not precious about it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There are a million different ways to interpret something. So this is just my initial stab. Let me know what you think, honestly. And my job is to try and help your message get across. And so if I'm not hitting that, you need to tell me. And so you need to kind of allow yourself to be to receive the feedback. And actually, I've found that the feedback that I get from directors has actually helped me further develop my own understanding of the storytelling process um, and the nuances um, in storytelling and narrative. Um, and actually, those perspectives help drive me in a direction that I might not have stumbled on if it weren't for those restrictions or clarifications. And so the revisions actually help make the project better. And again, in this collaborative um, format that we tend to, that we work in, um, it's all about everyone working together to make the best film, best piece of content possible. And so you kind of leave the ego at the door and it's just about how can we all get this over the line? Um, and in that process, you kind of let it all go and don't take criticism too personally. Um, because I can always, if if they hate that piece of music, that's fine. It's not wasted. Music's never wasted. I can always come <laughs> back to that and perfect that to my heart's content on my own time. Yeah. It may not be for that film, but it still exists. And yeah. I can always open up that project at another time if I if I if I really want to and, and sort of carry that forwards and turn that into something else. Yeah. Um, but if it's not for that film, that's okay. <laughs> that's great. Real true collaboration. So just briefly, um, can we talk a little bit about what equipment you use, hardware or software? Um, so I'm very much in the box. I've got a studio in Highbury and Islington, just around the corner from Highbury and Islington Station. Um, and in my studio, I've got, so I'm working off a, um, a MacBook, 2015 MacBook Pro, um, which at this point is um, starting to creak. Um, <laughs> um, I've got three displays hooked up to that. Um, two for Cubase and one for the pictures. Uh, 88 note controller keyboard. Um, I've got a Rolly Seaboard Rise. I've got uh, an MPD jump pad, jump controller um, with some faders on that. And I've also got um, an Avid Artist Control and Artist uh, Transport um, from their Artist Series. In terms of outboard, I've got an LA610 channel strip compressor eq um preamp uh, that goes into my rme uh, babyface mark one i'm old school so literally my approach of gear is that i'll buy i'll take ages to decide on what i'm going to buy um and i'd rather buy something sort of smaller but for good quality than something cheap and um, that i have to replace quite soon and so I've had this baby face and it's been rock solid for a long time, but I need some more um, ins and outs because I do want to do more stuff out of the box. And so I'm actively eyeing up options. In terms of monitors, I've got the Yamaha uh, HS7 um, microphone, the SEZ5600 Mark II, which is a large condenser tube. And I've also got um, a Line 6 X3 Pro, which I've started to use to, to sort of mangle guitar sounds through um and i've also got a zoom that i use when i'm out and about just capturing sounds wherever i might be um and all of that stuff tends to find its way into into my um into my work because um a lot of the stuff i like to do is sort of exploring that blurred line between music and sound design and so some of the sort of the capturing of sounds takes place outside of the studio um context um so it's quite a streamlined um quite a streamlined setup obviously i've got 
bundles of plugins like everybody else. <laughs> um, hard drives creaking. There are so many tools, but great music's been written before all these tools were created. And, you know, we can get caught up on what's the latest, greatest and newest thing that, that we can sort of spend our time buying. And I'm as guilty as the next composer <laughs> of surfing the, the, the infinite web of opportunities to purchase and part, part with your hard-earned cash for um, the, the, the allure of musical possibilities. But my, my, my setup's quite streamlined and I try to, as much as possible, sort of delve into the programs and the, the, the software that I have and try and go for the depth over breadth kind of um, approach. But at the same time, I do try to and I, uh, incorporate a lot of um, my own sort of recordings of, of interesting sounds and textures um, into my work because we all, we all have the same plugins and we all have the same um, access to the same tools. I'm on a journey to try and sort of establish my own aesthetic and my own approach to it. Um, and I think the more you can do yourself that other people don't do um the more sort of unique these um the more unique your own aesthetic and i think so i'm always sort of trying to discover ways of doing things slightly differently to help push that agenda and my last question what would be your one piece of advice for somebody who wants to become a film composer okay so my one piece of advice to anybody who wants to be a film composer um and there's so many pieces but i think <laughs> the most important one i think would be if you want to do it, just get on with it. Um, there's a university of YouTube and you can actually spend so much time online doing all of this stuff. I think the best way to learn is by doing. So go out there and meet people doing it <laughs> and um, just do the work. Find people and work for them. It can't be underestimated. Obviously, we all strive for perfection, but you're never going to be perfect mm. and you're never going to feel ready. 100%. And if you sit down waiting till you've just figured this one thing out, you'll be absolutely ready. And by the time you get to that point, everything's moved on and you have to relearn again. So <laughs> I have to get away from the sort of the student mentality and just yeah. get to it. And it's sort of like learning progress, learn on the job, learn as you go. Um, and don't be afraid to get it wrong because you're going to get it wrong. Like just accept it. If you can accept that you're going to get it wrong, and your stuff is going to get rejected and it's going to be a little bit bad to start with. Um, if you can get over all of that, then sort of like the, the, the pathway is wide open for you to sort of discover. Um, but be open. Don't sort of close your mind and be too rigid about the very specific thing that you think that you want from all the armchair philosophy that you've been doing. Um, <laughs> go out there and experience and do different things and do different types of projects. Find different people to work with. Um, and experience will teach you what, where your sort of corner of the world is. Um, but unless you actually go out there and start doing stuff, um, it's just theory. And if your aim is to be a, a theorist and philosopher about it, then that's great. But if you actually want to do it, then do it. That's great. What a wonderful piece of advice. Well, thank you so much once again for coming on the show, Banky. Absolute pleasure, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Been really cool. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe, leave me a review and share the link with your friends. One last thing before you go, I also have a closed Facebook group for composers that's dedicated to helping you learn all about composing and producing for Moving Image. It's a growing community and a safe place to ask questions or to get advice on all aspects of music for media, either directly from me or from other musicians in the group. Just visit soundtrack.academy slash Facebook group to join. I'll see you in there.